Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Big thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate everybody uh, who's been listening the last couple seasons as we are now in Season 3. Today's guest is Brian Hammond. As many remember Brian from his 21 years at the Golf Channel. He's one of those original members. He actually was on the opening studio show. He's covered just about every sport in his career and now has started the Country Club National Championship, which will be at Disney World October 12th through the 17th this fall. And uh, let's get Brian on the phone. he tell us a little more about that event and what he's up to these days. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome my good buddy and fellow Hoosier, Brian Hammonds, to the podcast. Brian, thanks for spending some time with us today. Jim, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, as uh, I mentioned, you're from Indiana, and uh, our, us, we Hoosiers, we kind of stick together. We, uh, Of course, uh, when you're in the wintertime, you got to stick together. It's so cold, and it's basketball season. But tell us what it was like growing up. Uh, I mean, you grew up in a big basketball state, but also a sports-crazed state of Indiana. What was that like? Well, as you know, I mean, basketball's king. So I grew up, we both grew up in basketball hotbeds. I grew up in Anderson, Indiana, and you grew up just down down the road a little ways in Marion, and two of the biggest uh, basketball hotbeds in the state, or at least they were. They're not so much anymore because both those towns have been hit hard by the exodus of uh, General Motors and whatnot. So, um, but it was fun. I mean, I didn't, you know, unlike you, I didn't, I didn't play golf uh, growing up. I played the other sports. I played basketball and football, baseball, but. Uh, um, Knowing what I know now, I wish I'd have been like you and played golf from an early age. Yeah, I, I know. And I think that's one of the things that Indiana's a sleepy, good little golf state. Uh, a lot of great club pros that I grew up with, and a lot of good juniors have come out of there and a great uh, junior program and everything. But like you said, basketball's the king. We do that in the wintertime. Your high school gym was even bigger than mine. Marion held about 7,000, and the wigwam was uh, much bigger than that. So that was the cool part. I mean, it was it was great to play the other sports. Uh, and, and golf was just, you know, things a lot of kids were able to do spring and summer. But, you know, it was just great. We had that support from our club pros and everything, and, and it just made such a great uh, place for me to grow up. But you then went on to Butler. Uh, which is another basketball-crazed uh, school as well. But uh, you majored in radio and television. Did, when did you start thinking, maybe I'll get into the tev- television part, or was that always kind of a dream of yours? No, the, the dream was to play and be a Major League Baseball player. Oh, okay. And, and then retire and, and get into, you know, and then become a baseball broadcaster. Well, I skipped the first part. as <laughs> a Major League Baseball player. Didn't quite get to there. And, and then I never did a baseball game in my life, which, uh, you know, things turn out uh, for a reason. But, I, you know, I got involved in broadcasting as a freshman at Butler when I got into television at Channel 6 in Indianapolis. And uh, as a 19-year-old snot-nosed kid, not knowing what he was doing. Uh, and then it just developed from there. And I never did a baseball game, but that's fine. I had a, you know, I had a great career in, in golf and in other sports and really enjoyed it. You know, people just think, especially, and, and that was a pretty good sized station, but some of these smaller stations, they just think, oh, the guy puts on a tie and looks at a teleprompter and he starts talking, but there's a lot more to that job. You're actually out there with the camera, editing, doing all those things. Tell us what it was like. And you were in college doing that. Tell us what that was yeah, like. Yeah, but I, was, I wasn't shooting or editing because uh, Channel 6 was a was a union shop. Okay. So I couldn't touch any of that stuff. So I still, to this day, I mean, I can't, you know, I can do some stuff on the computer, but uh, but I couldn't turn on a camera. 
so I've never done any of that. I was lucky in that regard. I was just, it was my job to be on the air. So I was basically the guy to, to, to just put on the tie. You're like me. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a mic, start talking. And that, that's still, I mean, that's what I, I noticed here, at least in our little small town in Mississippi, is these these young people, I mean, they're trying to get to where you're talking about where you were to get to stations like that where they can do that. But uh, you then got to be studio host for the Indiana Pacers for a couple of years. What was that like? That was a lot of fun. The Pacers weren't weren't that good then. They aren't as good. You know, they, they weren't making the playoffs every year. And if they were, they were early early exits. But it was a lot of fun. I worked alongside uh, some great guys. You know, Clark Kellogg was my studio analyst for a couple of years, and then Slick, uh, Slick Leonard. Uh, who's just a legend in this state? Um, so it, that was a lot of fun, but uh, unfortunately, they weren't they weren't that good when I was doing the Pacers. Well, you mentioned Slick Leonard. I mean, that was when the Pacers were back in the old ABA, and a lot of people don't remember that. I mean, the you know the multicolored basketball and a lot of cool things, and then they moved over with several other teams to the NBA. But back then, when they were in the ABA, they were pretty daggone good, though. No, no, no they, they won three ABA championships, and people. You know, people may not uh, be familiar with the ABA, but they'll be familiar with the names like George Gervin and yep. Julia Serving and Rick Barry and George McGinnis. And those players all played in the ABA, and it, it was a it was a great league and a lot of fun to watch. In fact, when I was a kid, they would come to to the Wigwam in Anderson and play a few games, which was really cool. Um, but they only lasted the league only lasted like nine or ten years before they went belly up, and then they they merged. I think four or five of the teams into the NBA, San Antonio and the Pacers and uh, New Jersey. And uh, I can't think of the other two, but uh, uh, yeah, it was a good league for a while. Absolutely. And, and of course you uh, live close to where one of your other true loves and that's motorsports. And, and anyone that grew up in Indiana, it's basketball, but it's also the Indy 500. And you were able to cover that plus a lot more in the motor uh, racing part of it. Uh, what was it like covering the, the Indy 500? You know, growing up, like you said, growing up in Indiana, I was a huge race race fan. And then when I went to Channel Six, I was still 18 years old. And you you know the name Tom Carnick. Absolutely was the was the track announcer at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for a million years. It had that booming voice, and um, well, he was the sports director at Channel Six, and I was just itching to go out to the track and help them with their coverage and. But you had to be 21 to get into the pits, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't lie for me. I so I had to wait. You know, <laughs> I had to. You know, on race day, I'd be back in the studio doing updates. You know, I couldn't even be at the race. Um. So, but when I finally turned 21, I just dove in, and you know, I I love going out there every day, and it's it's different now, as you know, as it was than it was then when it was a complete month full of daily activity, and now it's condensed into a little over a week. Um, but, uh, then I got to work with ABC in their coverage of, of the Indy 500 and IndyCar racing. And that was, a, that was a lot of fun working with Paul Page and who I still think is one of the best racing broadcasters ever. Absolutely. Um, Bobby Unser and, and Jack Arood and Dr. Jerry Punch and, uh, Sam Posey. That was, that was a lot of fun to do that. So I, that I thought was really cool. And one of the highlights, you know, remember White World of Sports, yep. that Saturday yep. afternoon mainstay, we were doing qualifying for the 500 out at, uh, out at the Speedway, and we're part of White World of Sports on that Saturday, on cold day. And, uh, and Jim McKay from mm. the studio in New York threw it 
to me. He said, now let's go back to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and Brian Hammonds. And I thought, I almost didn't, didn't talk because I just thought to myself, I'm like 23 or 24 years old. I just thought, my God, Jim McKay. Jim McKay just threw it to me. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> so like when Arnold Palmer talks to you. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, my God, Jim McKay just mentioned my name. Oh, I better talk now. That is so funny. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. I mean, it's 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 such a cool – it's a small world, a sports world, even though you're talking about motor racing and golf and all the different sports. But you mentioned the pits being 21. Well, you didn't have to be 21 necessarily to get to the snake pits because my little brother actually <laughs> was part of that uh, for many, many years. But what was your fondest memory, I guess, of a 500 or one of the 500s that – probably one of your fondest memories of that race? Oh, my gosh. There's so many of them. There's been so many um, – I don't know why, but it sticks in my mind. But one of the coolest things that I saw was when Willie Key Ribs qualifying mm. for the 500 mm-hmm. because he was under such pressure as a black driver, and and he didn't have great equipment, but he was really a good race driver, and he and he stuck it in the field very late, right before the gun went off at the last minute, and it was such an emotional time. I remember that. Uh, I remember uh, the great races that what. Who was it that? Um, oh, it was Mears and John Cox. Yep. Uh, that was that was just a fan then. It wasn't. Um, I wasn't out there covering it, but uh, just being a part of that of the broadcast was so much fun and and so special. And I remember we, we rehearsed, and you know how this goes. There was an hour and a half or two hour pre race show before the race even started, and we rehearsed that. We had thirty three stand ins. You know, uh, standing in for the drivers, we we walked through everything in preparation for the pre-race show before the race actually started, and then we show up on race day, and Allinger Jr. spent the night in the hospital with an IV in his arm because he had the flu. Oh gosh! And all of that rehearsal and preparation goes out the window, and now you're flying by the seat of your pants mm. for two hours. So you know, it, all those things will be memories that I'll take with me forever. It was uh, it was a great experience, and I still. I still enjoy the race. You know, I still enjoy racing, and I miss it from time to time. But uh, there was no job security in racing broadcasting like there was in golf broadcasting. No, and you you mentioned all-time drivers. Lloyd Ruby, and I know you know that name. Uh, We Mm -hmm. were playing at the Brickyard one time, and he was with uh, several people, and he was out there talking. And and I was like, you know, Mr. Ruby, you walk around with that big old cowboy hat, no credentials, everybody knows who you are. If you had any pull, you'd take us around in a pace car. Well, about 30 minutes later, we're in a pace car, and we're going out of the pits and get into turn one, and he gets into turn two, and he starts to gun it. And he said, son, when we came through this turn turn two, I shook that building when I hit the wall. I said, well, Mr. Ruby, the wall's not connected. He said, that's how hard I hit the wall. So I'm laughing, and then I'm crying because he guns it going down that back straightaway. And I look over, we're going like 120, 130. I don't even have my seat belt on. And I'm thinking, I've got kids at home. What am I doing? As we get into turn three, we're almost up against the wall. He says, son, I'm fixing to really let go here. And we come down the straightaway out of turn four, and there's the tour bus stopped at the stop finish line. And we buzz them. <laughs> and I'm going like, oh, my, we're going to get high. We're going to kill somebody. We kind of got in trouble for that one. They didn't let us do that again. But you're right. How many, how many drinks did Lloyd have him in, have any? That, that was point? the problem. We quit counting. <laughs> He'd had a few beers before that. I didn't know that. A buddy of mine, uh, Bill Shepard from home here, he was there, and he's sitting back here on the hump in the back seat of the Camaro, and he's thinking the same thing. He goes, he's been drinking, hasn't he? I go, yep. 
<laughs> but we went to a, I guess, a dirt track race that night, right afterwards, and he'd been all day long, and he actually wrote, drove in the track in the race, and they went down to get him, and I said, man, he's had, we drove him here, he's had multiple beers, you know, and it, it was just like, but those guys, I mean, that was, they could do it in their sleep. I mean, it was amazing, and, and they had no fear, obviously. He was probably in the 60s or 70s when he took us around that place, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's some great memories. You know, I never went to a race until I was on tour. Uh, we'd have to work. Really? Yeah, mom and dad, dad wasn't into racing, and he just, you know, he just wanted to sit there and, and, and make us work, and we weren't into racing, and everything was blacked out, so you couldn't watch it till that night. We listened to it on the radio, but I remember taking one of my, a couple of my kids to the brickyard, and she kept saying, why does Pap Pap not like racing? And I said, well, I don't know, baby. He just doesn't like it, but he likes Bud Light. <laughs> so we sat there. <laughs> well, said, the Speedway was one of your sponsors for a while, weren't it, they? It was. They, when they redid the brickyard, I, it was one of my sponsors, and I was just like, of course, I then had front row seats. I was in the pits. I actually hosted an Inside the PGA Tour uh, show from uh, the Indy 500. And I was actually, I think it was Davy Jones. I was actually there in his pits. And they said, do you want to get in the car? And I'm thinking, if I get my fat butt in this, I'm going to break something. You know, he's on the pole. I'm not doing all that stuff. But it was so cool to kind of get in there, talk to those guys, you know, and just pick their brains. And now it's so scientific and computer generated. They do all that stuff kind of like Formula One. It's just so different. It's kind of like golf in a way with all the technology. But it was just amazing uh, to watch these guys do what they did. And I I never had that, you know, I didn't run want to go 200 miles an hour. But it was cool. Some of the things I was able to do at the Brickyard stood right there in turn two up against the fence when they come buzzing by and I mean, it's 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 really scary and, and amazing what those guys can do, uh, and I have a lot of respect for them. But you mentioned the Golf Channel. You were one of the original members, and you did the opening show, didn't you, when the, when the Golf Channel first started? Yeah, yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, you know, it, it was funny to watch. I was following the formation of the Golf Channel from here in Indianapolis and all the magazines and whatnot. And then, uh, remember the name Mark Oldham? Sure do, okay. yep. You may not, you know, Oldie. I don't know him, but I know the running, name. Yep. Yeah, he was running the, the at the time it was called the Senior Tour mm-hmm. event here in Indianapolis, and um, I saw him playing golf at the Brickyard one day, and he comes across and says, "Hey, I'm just let you know I'm leaving. I'm going to the Golf Channel." I said, "Really? Well, when you get down there, find me, give me a name of somebody that I can send a tape to." So, a few days later, he sends me a name to send your tape to this guy. So I sent him a tape. I put together a, a tape and sent it down there. And then I'm at Colt practice one day. And this is before everybody had cell phones on them 24-7. And the trainer taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, you have a call in the locker room. So I go in the locker room, and it's Mike Whalen on the line. Mm. Mike Whalen was the executive producer for the first executive producer for the Golf Channel. And I pick up the phone, and he says, which job do you want? Do you want to do play-by-play, or do you want to host Golf Central? I said, can I come interview first before I make really? a decision? Wow. <laughs> so uh, the Colts were playing Miami a couple weeks later, so I set it up for after the game. I, I flew up to uh, uh, to Orlando and met my wife there, and we interviewed for the job. And uh, and, it, and we accepted that we wanted to – I had a new son. My firstborn uh, – my son was born, and, and uh, I didn't really want to go do – move my family to a strange city and then do the play-by-play and be traveling for 30, 35 weeks a year. Right. So I took, I did that later, but, uh, we started as the host of golf central, which was golf channel sports center. 
and um, it was great. Yeah, I did the first show, you know, when Arnold Palmer and, and President Bush pulled the switch, so to speak, to turn on the Golf Channel. Uh, I was the first one you saw. Yeah, exactly. You had, and you had a great relationship with Arnold Palmer, and he was just such an amazing person. Like you were talking about, uh, you know, Jim McKay sent it to you. I mean, I was like that with Arnold Palmer. And I, I got paired with him at the PGA at Cricket Stick, which was home. And uh, I was so excited just to have the PGA there. And I was playing well. And I get paired with he and Rocco. And I had never met him. And my parents were huge Arnold Palmer fans. Of course, they grew up about 40 minutes from where he uh, lived in, in Latrobe there. And they were in Johnstown. And I was just like, well, man, what do I call him? And I asked Rocco, do I call him Mr. Palmer? I mean, I don't want to feel like he's old. He was probably 60 at the time, and which is what I am almost now. So I kind of felt uh, uh, just always intimidated. And I followed him around like a puppy that entire first two days just to watch how he did things. And it was just such an amazing experience. And, you know, he was so cool to be with. And, and you know, actually that was the first time. And that, that was, I've been on tour for seven years. And that was actually the first time I'd ever met him is being paired with him for two days. But he just made me feel so welcomed. And, and he does that with everybody. He made you feel like you were the only person in the room. And, and one of the things I remember is when you and I finally got to work together, we were doing Puerto Rico. Uh, I was doing live golf. Actually, I got put into the, the booth with you. And we called Arnold when Sam Saunders was playing so well, his grandson. And, and I remember you asking me, that's hey, right. uh, you want to ask him anything? I said, no, I, that's why I couldn't do it. I couldn't <laughs> talk. I mean, and you did a great job with it. But how cool was that to have Arnold during our telecast with Sam playing there? Well, I, even more than that, the golf channel wouldn't have worked. It would not have worked without Arnold Palmer's involvement. And that's why, you know, when I told people I was going to the golf channel, people would say, my, my mother-in-law at the time, she was going, the Gulf of Mexico channel? Yeah. Going to, no, 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 the Gulf channel. You know, it, nobody thought it would work. Right. And, but everybody, I thought, you know, hey, if Arnold Palmer's involved, you know, everything he touches turns to gold. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got to work. It, but I don't think it would have without Arnie's involvement. And he was involved. Um, you know, you would see him, you know, he'd come to the office and he'd walk through, hey, how's everybody doing? I mean, that, it, you know, you can't believe how that lifted everybody's spirits to see um, Mr. Palmer walking down the hallways greeting everybody. Um, and then the classic story, when the Golf Channel was still being formed, you know, his his handlers and his agent and whatnot, they didn't really, they weren't real enthused about Arnie investing in this. And they're all sitting around with Joe Gibbs, who was the founder, uh, and brought Mr. Palmer into it. And uh, they're all sitting around, and you know, all these guys are going, Mr. Palmer, Arnie, we don't think he should do this. We don't think it's pretty risky. And Arnie finally said, look, if I didn't try to hit it through the trees from time to time, none of us would be here. That's Let's true. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, so and that's true. one of the great stories. I yeah. mean, you know, um, so uh, that's why I didn't think it was such a big risk. Uh, to to go to the golf channel because of his involvement, it, you know. Because when you went to, you know, we tried to get involved with the USGA. I mean, you know, we're a startup. No, there was no such thing as a as a niche network mm -hmm. for sports at the time. The golf channel was the first. But when you would say, "Yeah, we're Arnold Palmer's golf channel," they go, "Oh, oh okay." Um, yeah, that's it true. made a difference. It sure did. I yeah. think that's that's you're right. If it, I, I'm 100 percent agree with you, if he doesn't have Arnold's backing, it. I'm going to say what it wouldn't be where it is today, and it wouldn't be as successful. Oh, no. And, and no. who would ever thought we'd watch golf 24-7 or watch the weather 24-7?
for that matter. <laughs> of course, we're all watching the weather, you know, these days with the winters yeah. that we're having. But uh, another thing that was cool, you, you and I got to finally I worked together, is you were the starter at the Solheim Cup. Uh, and I was working the, the Solheim Cup there. But that's that's such a cool event. And you've worked Ryder Cups and Solheim Cups. You know, I don't know if anyone really realized just how competitive and how that Solheim Cup is really has gotten now uh, for the ladies' side of the game. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to call the play-by-play, I think, at three or four Solheim Cups. We did the one. The first one I did was, was here at Cricket Stick, mm-hmm. which was a great atmosphere. And as you know, the fans here, you know, they're starving to go watch great golf. And uh, they turned out in droves, and it was a great, great event. The United States won. And I did one in Sweden. Uh, I think I did one in Chicago. Uh, but that is a great event. I mean, you, you know, everybody knows about the Ryder Cup, and they watch that and the President's Cup but the Solheim Cup is a great, great event. Um, you know, and then going to those events kind of, you know, spurred the idea that that uh, that I have now that I've launched the Country Club National Championship. And I mean, every time I went to a Ryder Cup or a, a President's Cup or a Solheim Cup, I thought, you know, how cool would it be to replicate this for the everyday golfer? Uh, so that's what we've done with the Country Club National Championship. Yeah, tell us about that. That's your new uh, venture out there. It's uh, in October at Disney uh, World at the coming up this fall. Tell us a little bit about it and how people can get involved and, and participate and, and uh, start up with your first uh, uh, tournament. Well, it's, the, it's open to all private golf clubs in the United States, and it's a, it's a modified Ryder Cup format. Uh, so it's all match play. It's, it's, you know, it's your club against my club in round one, let's say. And uh, so the first six holes would be four ball. The next six holes would be foursome or alternate shot. In the last six holes, we would square off against uh, an opponent on the other team in singles. So, uh, and there's two points available for each for each segment. So you can get killed in one segment and still be alive, you know, to win points for your team. Then the first team, there's it's a ten players on a team, um, and the first team to 21 wins that match and moves on. So it's a uh, it's and the reason we've done people say, well, why just private clubs? Well, as you know, and you played in a Ryder Cup and a President's Cup, um, when you're playing for more than just yourself, there's a little, little more pressure on, on the line. Mm-hmm. And 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 as a private club member, you know that you're very proud of your club. That's where you play, and for the most part, that's your social circle as well. So you're playing for more than just yourself. So it's limited to private clubs, at least to start. And um, the response has been good. I mean, teams are excited. Uh, clubs are entering more than we've had. I think we've got three clubs that are entering more than one team. Wow, that's great. So, how, how do they enter? How do they find out? How do they? Where do they go to uh, enter? All the details uh, are at, at CCNC Golf. That stands for Country Club National Championship. CCNCGolf.com. and all the rules and uh, format and and the registration is done there. Um, so uh, it's been it's been good. It's going to be played October 12th through the 17th at Walt Disney World, the three Walt Disney World courses, and then for the first uh, three days, two days of competition plus a practice round, uh, we're going to utilize the uh, celebration course as well, which is about 10 minutes away from from Disney World. So uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We're limiting the field to 64 teams in round in year one, and we're hoping by October the fear of COVID is behind us mm-hmm. so but uh, and if you're allowed to have one club professional on your team now it has to be a staff member at your club okay 
And if and if the club professional participates, there's an appearance fee and plus bonuses to make it worth their while. So it's it's going to be a good time. There's a lot of excitement surrounding it, and Fuzzy's uh, Fuzzy's Ultra Premium Vodka has come on as our presenting sponsor, and they're excited about it. So um, they're looking forward to it. It's uh, you know it's going to be a, it's it's never been done before. So we're, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to mention who your sponsor for Fuzzy's the vodka course, and he's that's a he's been doing that for several years and had a lot of success with that. That's a cool concept. I think you'll get a lot of people doing it. Like you're you're right. Like hey, I'm a member at Old Waverly, and let's get a group there, and and we're going to represent Old Waverly and go down there to play. And it's you know that time of year. It's a great time of year to be in Florida. It's the temperatures are perfect, and the golf courses are fun to play. And you're at Disney World. Yeah. What else could you bring your family? Come on down and, and make a vacation while you go play golf. It's a perfect, uh, perfect concept. So, I look forward. Yeah. And to... it's a handicapped event too. Okay. So any, it's open for you know it's it's you know any and all skill levels. We're going to play the courses, uh, probably sixty five hundred yards. So just about everybody can play. And we're and if you're over sixty, you can play a six thousand yard tee. And uh, women will play eighty five percent of the full yardage. So it's about fifty eight hundred. Okay. So um, and it's open, you know. So any and all skill levels can uh, can feel like they can compete. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be a fun time. I, I look forward to to watching that and seeing how that turns. Well, out. Well, you're not eligible because you have a you know well, uh, exempt tour players. I can't can't play. So. Oh, even though I'm almost sixty. <laughs> Because I was looking to move up to those six thousand tees, because you know, you you get to that point. Yeah. I, I've given up on the fact that I can play the gold tees with the kids, and so I've kind of moved up to the blues. But if I could get the six thousand, I could compete. Yeah, yeah. You think you could do some da- some do some damage there, huh? Well, no, I'd have some fun. <laughs> yeah, golf. You can be a captain. You can be a captain. You don't have. We can have non-playing captains. So, well, I definitely could be a captain. I love to tell people what yeah. to do. They don't listen, but I sure. can tell them what to do. Yeah, yeah that, that's yeah, a good you, concept. You can take the blame if you get beat. So, oh no, 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 no! I'll, I'll pawn that off on somebody else. Yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, just because you get beat in round one doesn't mean you're done either. You're. Uh, we have a consolation bracket that will also crown a champion. So, uh, what you're, you're guaranteed two days of a practice round, two days of competition, uh, and then after you get beat. Uh, we bought out the golf courses. You can stick around and play the Disney courses for fun. So, you know, it's it's a full week of a golf party, basically. Yeah, it's cool. And like you said, they bring the family and go down and play Disney or play the golf courses while they go to the park. There's so much to do there. That's a that's a cool yeah. idea. I'm sure my wife's going to try to be on that team. I, I, I've got to mention that to her. She did say it before we started doing this podcast, hey, I want to play in it. So she's looking forward. There you go. So hey, there's uh, room. We still have some spots available. So. Get your team together, and I, and I could. I don't know if I'd be a good captain with her. She wouldn't listen to me. I would listen to her because I'm smart that way. But I don't know if she'd listen to me. But she. You've be been good. married long enough. You know. You know when. You know who you have to listen to. So. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. It's, it's, well, I'm learning. It's taken me a while. Thirty years. But. Uh, <laughs> But that's a cool concept. But another fun thing you you were part of, and I was actually almost part of this. The movie Tin Cup. You were in that uh, movie, and I actually was asked to be in it, but I was over playing in South Korea in an event. What was that like to be part of a movie uh, that that uh, ended up being a pretty good movie and still a pretty popular movie? Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, a very educational. But I'll tell you this: I would have more respect from my kids if I was in Happy Gilmore. That's true, because my kids. My kids are, you know, 21, 23, and 26. But every time Happy Gilmore comes on, they watch it. Ken Cup can come on and they could care less. But, uh, but your... it was a lot of fun. 
you know, we went to uh, Mike Ritz and I represented the Golf Channel yep. in that movie, and we we flew out there on a Sunday, and the director, uh, Ron Shelton, who also did uh, Bull Durham and Ty Cobb and White Men Can't Jump, so he's a very accomplished director, um, said, look, we don't know when we're going to get to you, so just, you know, come out here every day, and we might get to you Monday, we might get to you Tuesday, we don't know. So we're out there every day watching, we're in our outfit we even had doubles oh gosh there was a there were, there were guys looking like us dressed like us that would sit in for us when they light the when they light it and all that we had our own trailer which was like really we've got this little bitty part but we watched we watched this scene shot over and over and over again and one thing i learned for every day that they shoot a movie and that's sun up to sundown that day makes up about two minutes of the movie so it is so painstaking, because I mean, yeah, you know, on television, you get it right once, and you go, "Okay, let's, we're done, let's right. go." Well, they shoot it over and over and over again from all these different angles. It's like, oh my god, let's go! So we sat there and watched it all week, and they finally got to us on Friday, and they said, "Look, it, it's your turn." And we have one line written into the script, <laughs> and Ron Shelton goes, "Look, you've been watching this scene all week. Do you think you could ad lib it?" Well, yeah, that's what we do. Right. So we did it in one take and bought ourselves, we ad-libbed it and bought ourselves like 30 seconds in the movie rather than one line. And the actors were flabbergasted that we could ad-lib. <laughs> nothing that they do is ad-lib. No. Like, wow, I can't believe you did that in one take. And, well, it's kind of what we do. I was going to say, they don't watch but, enough TV, uh, live TV golf. <laughs> that's kind no. Of, kind of what you so, do. You know, they did that at Kingwood, but, and I actually played a tour school there the hole that Coster kept hitting it into water is one of the toughest par fours I ever played. Of course, it was during tour school, but we played the, the second stage of tour school there. And I remember I was there oh, several years after they did it. It's a beautiful place. A couple beautiful golf courses they filmed that at. Yeah, Gary McCord was the technical advisor. And I always blew him grief because, you know, there's some things that happen in that movie that aren't realistic, like backing up the three wood on that hole. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, really? He backed up a three-wooded sponge that spins back into the water. Uh, so there were some things in that movie that didn't quite uh, meet reality, but uh, but it was entertaining. You know, it was a lot of fun. And a lot of the stories that you see in there were true stories that they kind of uh, reinvented for the movie. Well, you mentioned your kids. What's your favorite golf movie? What's the best one out there of all time? I know Tin Cup would be because you're in it, but what's your favorite golf movie? You know, I, I, I'm not going to tell you Caddyshack like everybody else. I, I'm one of those that think Caddyshack is a little overrated. Mm. Uh, I'm probably in the minority, but you know, it was funny the first time. But I can't. I'm not one of those guys that can watch movies over and over again. Uh, I don't know. Happy Gilmore, I enjoyed. It was fun. Uh, I'm sure I'm overlooking some. Greatest game uh, ever played. Yeah, that was good. Mm -hmm. What was the What was the Disney movie that was? Was that the greatest game ever played? I think that, it was a Disney, Disney movie. movie. That's a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Really you know, Caddyshack. One. I was in college, so there's no telling what I was doing in college. It was funny every single time, but uh, you still use lines from that movie. It may not have been the greatest production movie, but it's it's just a cult movie kind of you know that we all just because of the era where I grew up and when I grew up made it so good. Same with Happy Gilmore. Uh, but it's just, it wasn't going to win any awards, but it's just a very popular movie and it's still popular yeah. just because it was fun. 
but when you look back at your, you know, you, you covered basketball, uh, what was the, any favorite kind of movie or any kind of sh- uh, game that kind of stood out, any of the stuff you covered in, in basketball or players maybe, some of your favorite players? Uh, well, Reggie Miller mm. you know, was on the Pacers when I was doing the Pacers, and you know, I got to know Reggie fairly well, and he's such a good guy. Uh, and he did a lot of things. He, he acted like a golfer in a lot of ways because the way he treated people mm-hmm. and, and, um, you know, we didn't live too far from Reggie and when they were in the playoffs facing the Knicks, remember those years uh, when they would play the Knicks oh, like yeah. every year in the Eastern conference finals, um, the kids in his neighborhood would put out signs in the neighborhood, go Reggie, go Pacers, whatever. And, uh, after they got beat, Reggie went to every one of those houses that had a sign in the yard and, and knocked on the door and thanked them for their support and signed whatever they wanted signed. And so he, he's a really good guy. And I, you know, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, covering Reggie was good. Uh, George McGinnis was my favorite player growing up. Uh, you know, he, he's in our era, you know, he, yeah, Mr. his Basketball Indianapolis Washington beat Marion in the state finals with him. Uh, right. I definitely remember that, man. He was, I mean, Bill Green, who was our, our coach, and he actually coached that team before he moved to Marion. I asked him, how do you coach a George McGinnis? He said, you don't. You put him on the other end and try to make the other guys work around him. I mean, he was just so yeah. much better than everybody else. And I know a lot of people listening probably don't even remember that name, but he was phenomenal. Uh, he's he in the Hall do. of Fame. Yeah, you know, yeah he's, a, he's a Hall of Famer, and – you know, he spent a lot. He spent his best years in the ABA. True. When he went to the NBA, his you know he was he didn't really take good care of himself. But the guy was built like Adonis and never lifted a weight in his life. Mm. And I got to know George, you know, pretty well because we would, we were members of the same golf club. We would play golf a lot, you know, in the later years. And um, he's got a bad back now and can't play. But that uh, uh, he never lifted a weight in his life. And you'd see, you know, you'd go to a game ABA games and he'd come out of the locker room with a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other one. You think, how does this guy look like this? <laughs> Lynn Dawson from the Chiefs. That's how they did exactly. it back then. But, uh, you know, you always, when you came to an end of one of your studio shows, you came up, uh, keep it in the short grass. How'd you come up with that? And it's a good way to kind of end our podcast, but how'd you come up with that uh, that line? I admit, I didn't come up with it. Really? Uh, Mark, Fried- Mark Friedman was yep. our first producer of Golf Center. And we, the first show that we ever did on the golf channel uh, was called The Approach. So when Arnold Palmer and President Bush pulled the switch, that show came on. And we had to do it live. I don't know why. Well, the reason was because we were going to have a lot of golf media and people in the studio for the launch of the golf channel. But we rehearsed it for two weeks every day. The same, you know, and basically you're introducing pieces of what the golf channel is going to be. And this is the tour. These are the tours we're going to cover. And so we rehearsed that for two weeks. And at the end of the script that he wrote, none of us wrote the show because it was already written and ready to go. It, he would <laughs> keep it in the short grass. Yeah. I said, well, I kind of like that. I think I'll use it. And uh, so I did. I used it the first show and uh, I've used it in all the studio shows at the golf channel. I never used it when I was doing live golf. I never signed off never that did. when I did live golf. No, but only in the studio. So, uh, um, 
but it got to be kind of a catchphrase. Yeah, it so sure, it sure I, did. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about changing the name of my company to uh, Short Grass Productions. Or you could do a podcast, <laughs> Short Grass. Keep it in the Short Grass. You could do a lot of things. With yeah. That. But uh, we appreciate you being with us, Brian, uh, and and look forward to the uh, Country Club the National Championship. That's ccncgolf.com, and uh, get your teams in there. And, and it's in October at Disney World. And I kind of like to leave uh, or end the podcast, whether uh, in life or golf, you may have only one shot. Uh, you got to make it count. Looks like you're making it count with this new event. And uh, we appreciate you being with us today. Thanks for having me. Stay in touch. All right, buddy. Stay warm up there. Yeah, we'll try. Yeah, all right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>